Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Your Story Transmedia, a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in the Winnipeg area. Stay tuned to learn more about Your Story's great lineup of comics and upcoming video games. On tonight's episode, we are going to be talking about some of Winnipeg's regular season and playoff grades for these players. They are composite grades and, and generally not super scientific. I'm not going to dive deep into analytics in this in this particular episode. Some of these are definitely going to be based on their underlying results, but not entirely. There will be some technique-based analysis as well. And these are not like super scientific. Again, these are what I think the kind of value that they've contributed based on expectation and the role that they were asked to play. After that, we'll talk about the ongoing Vegas versus Dallas game, which is now game three of this series that is currently tied nothing-nothing. Not exactly a thrilling game, but I, I think we are going to be seeing a lot more tight defensive KG performances like these, especially as we go deeper and deeper into the postseason. But first, talking about Winnipeg player grades. Our first episode yesterday covered Kyle Connor and Andrew Kopp, both of whom are very important players for different reasons. And kind of going off of those important players list, we'll start with Mark Shifley in this episode. Shifley is most definitely Winnipeg's de facto number one skater and most valuable player outside of the goaltending position because Shifley is our, our lead top line offensive driver, potentially a future captain, and definitely Winnipeg's number one seat. What kind of concerns me about Shifley is that I feel like his overall game has started to get a little bit simpler over time. You know, Mark used to be one of the most dominant two-way offensive creators in the entire league. You know, he was like Sean Couturier-ish when he was in his peak, although not quite as defensively sound. That said, he kind of created the amount of offensive impact that Sean Couturier currently creates for the Philadelphia Flyers, which is to say an absolute crap load, and it was really hard to contain Shifley when he was either on the power play or at even strength. He was just a really versatile, really scary offensive threat. He was at that peak a couple of seasons ago, and he's never really gotten close to it again. You know, the current version of Shifley is still very productive. He's one of Winnipeg's best even-strength scorers. He's a great uh, power play scorer. But there's something about him that has changed in his game. For one thing, I think that he needs to be the central distributor rather than a trigger man, and it feels like Winnipeg is trying to turn him more into that shoot-first kind of player, which I'm not really a fan of. I think that Shifley is best when he's allowed to be a creative, versatile uh, offensive distributor rather than just somebody who is waiting for somebody else to pass him the puck to shoot. Mark needs to be the one dictating the terms of engagement, not the other way around, and right now I just don't think we're getting that from him. The other thing that I'm kind of concerned about is that his defensive impact has started to really decline, and you don't even have to look at his underlying metrics to see that. I think the uh, the, the reads that he makes aren't that great. He constantly has issues marking uh, either passing or shooting lanes or marking his man assignments. I don't like to read too much into things, but sometimes, you know, I also feel like his body language just doesn't look like somebody who's really enjoying his work. It's not exactly passive, but it's not quite as active and as intense as we used to see from him. You know, he was such an explosive player around 2016 2017-ish. And while Shifley is still very good, especially offensively speaking, I, I just feel like that dominant presence that we used to have hasn't been here in a while. And I, I don't know if it's because he's unhappy with how he's being used, he doesn't like his role change, any combination of factors. I, I just don't think that he's quite the same player. In order to give him a grade, I do have to kind of take into account the fact that he basically did not play at all during the postseason because of injury. So most of this grade is going to be attributed to the regular season performance. And I guess I'm going to give him like a B-. minus. 
I think that he's kind of in in Kyle Connor's boat of having really high expectations of being a dominating attacking player, which he did meet, but the rest of his game has kind of suffered significantly. A B- might be a touch harsh, but I think his overall defensive impact and the fact that his usage doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for the kind of player that he should be versus what he was asked to do this season, I just feel like that's that's where I'm, I'm comfortable kind of leaving his grade at. The next player we're going to cover is somebody who has been asked to be a playmaker throughout his entire career and is actually very good at that, or at least he was in his prime. You know, he was one of the most positive shot share differential players in the league, and he constantly dominated shifts whenever he was on the puck. I, of course, mean Frenchie, also known as Matthew Perot, a player who has historically been criminally underrated and perhaps derided by certain sections of the fan base, but has always been, at least in my mind, one of the key faces of Winnipeg's, I think, their secret weapon. When the Jets were in playoff mode, they were constantly winning because they had exceptional depth players who really weren't depth players at all, but, you know, beasted those minutes and could easily play up and down the lineup as need be. Now, Perot is kind of getting out of those days. I think that this was one of the first couple of seasons where really his on-ice impact is starting to decline significantly. When you look at his contract that's, you know, three to four million dollars a season, I I think that we're all kind of getting the sense that Winnipeg's time with him is going to be short-lived at this point. He doesn't have much left on his deal anyways, and I think at this stage of his career, he's getting closer to to retirement than anything, which is really a shame because I think that Perot, for a long time, exemplified everything that I like about somebody who plays in your middle six, but can also be a top six play driver. Perot was crafty, elusive, very skilled, very fast, and had some really underrated distribution skill sets that made him a really offensive dynamic threat. This year, though, in between injuries and I think just getting old, you know, Perot is is kind of at the stage of his career where I think we're not really seeing much from him anymore. He's also kind of taken a lot of penalties as of late, and I'm a little bit disappointed. I I think that this is kind of a sign of the times as far as what's happening with him. He's definitely having trouble keeping up. I don't think that he is as offensively capable as he used to be, and and certainly he has lost his step. And that's not to say that his on-ice impacts are bad or anything. I just think that because he's not really scoring as much as he used to, he's taking more penalties, and he's definitely not quite as sturdy as you'd like him to be. I, I gotta give him something closer to like a C plus. I, I think that this stage of his career and, you know, for the contract ask and what he does on a routine basis, it's just a hard grade to give him anything above a C. I hate to put it in those terms, but I just think that we've kind of seen the best of him already, and, and now we're sort of at the end game as far as his career is concerned, and he's probably not going to be a Jet for much longer. I think that in this off season, he might be one of the guys who gets moved out. Despite the harsher grade, it doesn't really mean anything for me because I'll always love him and I always think that he will be, for me, one of the defining faces of those glory years where the Jets were Stanley Cup contenders and at least playoff threats. I know that a lot of folks will disagree, but I love Frenchie. I'm going to miss him terribly and, you know, whatever he does for the rest of his career... I'm just glad that we got his best while he was in Winnipeg. Speaking of getting the best, when you're shopping for auto car parts, it can be hard to figure out what exactly constitutes the best in terms of pricing, customer service, and selection. If you don't know the answer to any of these questions, let alone one of them, then cruise on over to rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family-run business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Their intuitive, easy-to-use website allows you to search by make, year, and model for your vehicle, and set the price range on the parts so that you get what you need at the price you need. You could save anywhere from 20 to even 50% off retail brick-and-mortar 
order in-store pricing. And you'll save yourself a trip heading out to the auto parts store just to have somebody else order online because they don't have it in stock. Whether you need a brand new engine control module or a replacement floor mat for the last one you dirtied because you lost a battle to that greasy taco, rockauto.com is guaranteed to have what you need. And best of all, there's no membership fee to use rockauto.com's great services, and everyone pays the same prices no matter their experience level or industry profession. When you place an order, be sure to write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Be sure to visit rockauto.com today. As I mentioned earlier in tonight's episode, I also wanted to tell you a little bit more about Your Story Transmedia. By now, you probably know that they are indeed an independent startup comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in Winnipeg. But they don't just publish stuff based in Winnipeg, they actually set some of their stories within the city. And if you check out their lineup of brand new comics, be sure to check out their flagship comic, The River Knows, which is set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. The best way to describe it is that it's a bit of a supernatural murder mystery filled with cosmic dread, noirish elements, hard-boiled detective stories, and some sightings of Portage in Maine. If you like alt-history fiction, The River Nose will be right up your alley, but if you're looking for something a little bit more lighthearted, be sure to check out your story's other comics, including Eon, Through Space and Time and Stuff, and Undercover UFO. You can purchase ebooks of all of their comics for $1.99 at yourstory.ca, as well as limited edition, first printing, 85 by 11 magazine-style versions of the same comics for $11.99. If you're into gaming as well, be sure to check out their upcoming game, Alien Machine Glow, which focuses on the hijinks of a cucumber farmer who gains the ability to see aliens. You can learn more about Alien Machine Glow and the rest of Your Story's comics at yourstory.ca, and when you place an order, be sure to use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast. If you are just catching up, we are continuing our player season reviews for the Jets, including some postseason stuff. And thus far, we have covered Kyle Connor, Andrew Kopp, Mark Shifley, and Matthew Perot. So we'll take a look at a couple of folks who are on the back end of things. And the first player we'll start with is Josh Morrissey. Morrissey is a really complicated case. I have to say that I don't really know 100% how to assess him because I think what we saw with Morrissey ever since Truba departed is that he's not really a number one defenseman. By default, he's been asked to play this role, and I think that that is actually a lot more overwhelming for him than I thought it would be. You know, Morrissey is somebody who I think is a very details-oriented defenseman. If you give him a partner who's like a really aggressive, offensively-minded player that likes to be strong on the puck, drop low into the offensive zone, and basically be a really bruising power forwardy type of, of player instead of a, a traditional two-way defenseman, I think that that allows Morrissey to focus more on a couple of different things. And the first thing is that it allows him to have more defensive awareness in terms of being a safety valve for a guy like Truba. And it also creates a lot more space for Morrissey to use his underrated offensive instincts. But what it kind of became apparent was that when he was asked to be the number one defenseman with Truba's absence, Morrissey just wasn't really prepared for that. I think that the jump from being like a complimentary top pairing defenseman to being the lead number one defenseman wasn't really something that he was capable of or ready for at least yet. Making matters worse, I I think that he was injured a couple of times throughout the season and it was clear that his mobility just wasn't there. And I think when you factor that in with his his issues making decisions, especially in, in tight situations with a lot of pressure, it led to him making mistakes that are uncharacteristic of his kind of performance. You know, we're used to Morrissey being an extremely detail oriented player, somebody who's very smart, knows how to gap properly, has great positioning, and just generally makes the right decisions, especially in distribution and in his defensive work. 
that wasn't really him at all this season. And if I have to give him a season rating, he's also kind of going to be sitting around a C or a C plus. I think that the rating is in some ways a little bit unfair on him because for obvious reasons, he didn't really have a partner who was quite on the level of Jacob Truba. He played with guys like Neil Pionk. I think he might have played with Kulikov or something. Now, Kulikov, I think, is mostly on the left side. I forget what other right-handed guys he might have played with. Aside from, like, Pullman, he had Pullman for a number of games this season, and that obviously did not go particularly well. And I think that that is, in in some ways, very hard for me to rate Morrissey's performance. I, I would say, like, C, C+, plus, but I, I think that that is sort of a rating that you, in some ways you take a little bit with a grain of salt. The more important takeaway is the holistic picture, and I think that that picture is that he struggled in this role as a number one defenseman, and either he's not going to be capable of doing that long term, or he's just not ready for it. As an aside, it's not like Jacob Truba really did much better either, and it suggests that maybe these guys apart aren't quite as capable of playing in their respective roles. Although Truba did actually improve somewhat throughout the season, Morrissey kind of did uh, for certain stretches, but it's been a while since we've seen the sort of performance that he had when he was with Jake the Snake. Speaking of back-end players, I also have to uh, talk about Dylan DeMello, who is more recently Morrissey's partner, and I have to say that DeMello is the kind of guy that I think the Jets need to bring back. You know, Dylan is not exactly like an elite first-pairing defenseman because he's not somebody who's going to be a really big two-way transition driver. He's not like a Miro Heiskanen or a Shea Theodore or anything, but what he does do is bring incredible competence, and I think that that is something that a lot of people would say, oh, you know, it sounds like a backhanded compliment, but I think it actually really describes the way that he thinks about the game, which, like Morrissey, he's very details-oriented. He doesn't have, like, tremendous tool sets, right? You know, he doesn't have, like, an elite shot. His edge work is, is decent but not outstanding, and his vision and passing aren't, like, earth-shattering either. But because he's so smart, he knows where he needs to be, his positioning is great, and he makes the right decisions under pressure, which makes him a, a really effective both a two-way defenseman and a defensive defenseman. I think that he's capable of playing both roles exceptionally well, and he's just a really smart, well-rounded skater. And I, I think it's hard to find somebody who does all of these things well enough that you can trust him with top four, even top pairing minutes. And generally speaking, DeMello acquitted himself quite well. I, I would have to say that if I gave him like a letter grade, you know, given the short sample size that we have to work with, I'm going to give him like a really high B plus to an A minus. I think that that is very fair for what he did. You know, he's not like, again, he's not like the world's most elite defenseman, but he's so good at just being well-rounded and being exactly what the Jets needed. And for me, there's really no reason for Chevy not to hit that extension button. Sign him for three years. Everyone's happy. We get a really good defenseman who can actually play for multiple seasons. And it was what, like a fourth round pick? Of the kinds of trades we've made for depth defensemen, DeMello was absolutely one of Chevy's best acquisitions, and he was so cheap. So I hope Dylan sticks around. I really like him. And, you know, if you've seen some of his tweets and stuff recently, he seems like a really stand-up quality person, so I hope they bring him back. Before we close off tonight's show, we will recap some of what happened during the Vegas-Dallas game, which is getting close to the end. I can't exactly call this one a barn burner, but it does have a couple of intriguing storylines in store for us. Thanks for sticking around with us on the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets show. Before we close out tonight, I thought I'd tell you some of what's going on between Vegas and Dallas. The series entering tonight was tied 1-1, and we saw two very different games between these two teams. In the first game, Dallas had a lot of jump, and it took a while for the Knights to start showing up and pushing the stars around, especially at even strength. 
You know, ultimately Dallas survived a one nothing win, but I think anyone who suspected that would be enough was kidding themselves. You know, Dallas is, is a decent team, but they're not exactly on Vegas's level. And in game two, Vegas basically curb stomped the Stars, and I think the scoreline, which was, I don't know, like 4 nothing or something, could have been much worse. No, actually, I think it was 3 nothing. Honestly, that game could have been like 6 or 7 nothing because Dallas just really struggled to get much going. And I'm not surprised by this. I mean, we've seen what Vegas can do against really talented teams, and the Knights are capable of putting a ton of goals on you very quickly. You know, the style that they play, which is that fast counter and transition with a lot of stretch passes and verticals, combined with a lot of rapid cross-seam passing and net front chaos, just makes them a really dangerous all-around threat. In Game 3, what we've seen is a, a kind of a surprising result in the sense that both these teams, especially for the first half, have played an incredibly cagey, slow, low-event game. In terms of, like, skating speed, I think the first, you know, 20 to 25 minutes were especially slow because it seems like the uh, the teams were a little bit reticent to try and stretch the play beyond a couple of sequences here and there. For the most part, it felt like they were very cagey defensively. They weren't overcommitting. It seemed like both squads were fairly wary of one another, and it definitely showed, especially for the Stars. Eventually, though, late in the game, Dallas ended up taking a 1-0 lead on a Jamie Oleksiak breakaway, which was kind of one of the funnier things, because Vegas was actually creating a lot of the 5v5 opportunities during that stretch of time, and then Dallas got a bit of a lucky break where a neutral zone breakout wasn't exactly stopped all that well, and Alexiak was in. But of course, you know, Vegas was given a power play opportunity, and Shea Theodore didn't miss. He scored off of a long-distance shot that I think got tipped. I don't know if Theodore actually still has credit for the goal or not, but again, he's the kind of guy who, for whatever reason this postseason, has really come to life. He's always been very good, but as far as his goal-scoring prowess is concerned, he's just racking up points left and right. Dallas, though, just a little bit later, scored again to take the lead. This one off of a nice Jamie Benn goal between the five-hole on Lerner. But, you know, Vegas then applied a ton of 5v5 pressure, and Dallas was starting to creak. And right before the end of regulation, Dallas conceded a game-tying goal. This one a little bit fluky from Tuck. It ended up going off of, like, Stone's arm and over uh, Kudobin's like shoulder because Kudobin was sort of not really interfered with but he didn't have a whole lot of space to move and so he sort of flopped back as the puck kind of bounced off of him and just like that the game went to overtime. The game actually hasn't resumed yet so we'll tell you a little bit about what happened during uh, the overtime period on tomorrow's episode as well as a bit of some of the Isles versus Tampa Bay action but we're not going to spoil that yet. Thanks so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampado, and be sure to look out for more player reviews tomorrow. Thanks so much, have a great night, and go Jets go!